We're talking the book of Acts. You know, we've been in a series called Supernatural and talking about this new community of love that Jesus is forming and in the, in the first church and continues to form today. And we're asking ourselves, how do we join that? How do we join that story, that family of God, even in the midst of great trouble? Um, how was Christianity gone from this like fringe movement uh, in the face of persecution? You know, how do we become more than just a religious group affiliated around our preferences, right? Um, how do we cross boundaries? How do we get around tables with those different from us? How do we love our neighbors? How do we learn to love well and to give up ourselves for the sake of others? You know, we don't do this just by trying harder. Um, this is supernatural work. This is the result of the Spirit at work with us and in us. So, um, we're going to take a little detour after this Sunday um, for a few months, and we're going to just take a little pause from the book of Acts and do a, a short conversation around um, politics. And everybody says, <gasps> <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's the election season, and, you know, now I'm only in my 30s, but I don't remember a time when our country has been this polarized, and we've got to find a way to rise above the polarization, and, you know, if we're serious about processing life together, well, that means all of life, doesn't it? That means how do we engage politics? Now, don't worry, we're not here to endorse a political candidate or party. We won't do any of that. But how do we, as followers of Jesus, join his story of redemption in the public square? Um, and how do we do it with both compassion and conviction? Um, so just a little teaser on where we're going to go going forward. I'll talk a little bit about that at the end. So, But let's... And it's kind of a good spot because right here where we are in the book of Acts is sort of a transition period anyway. So go with me to Acts chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 1. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Taman, Paramenus, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today, the story of redemption, uh, the living word that Jesus uses to speak and communicate with us. Thank you for the uh, account of your early church 
um, your early followers, those who were with you, and we can learn a great deal from them, and you intended us to. So may these words today speak deeply to us. Uh, May you open our eyes to see, and open our ears to hear, and open our hearts to respond, to process, to reflect, and to be changed from the inside out. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, O Lord, be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right. So, we see another threat arising in the community. And this time it comes from within. Right? As the movement grew, so did the challenges, right? Remember all the way back to Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit enabled them to hear different languages. Um, and we talked about how then this was a group of Jews. So this isn't a Gentile uh, movement quite yet. This is still kind of within this Jewish people. Um, and when I say Gentile, I just mean those outside of the Jewish heritage. But this is, just, this is a, Jewish, a Jewish group of people. Um, but they're all from different cultures and backgrounds, right? Different regions and languages. Um, and so they're very different. Um, and so we said from... Uh, a few weeks back, that from the very beginning, Christianity is always about pushing the boundaries, moving outside of my group, right? Uh, We talked about how we have a tendency towards uniformity. We like to get around our people. I want to be around my people, whether that's my race or those in my socioeconomic class or political party or so on, right? We feel the pull towards those who are like us. And we said the Spirit of God is always calling us out from that uh, toward the journey of kenosis. Remember that word, kenosis. It's that laying down, you know, pulling us out of our self-centered individualism into a way that considers others deeply. And so here comes this group of Hellenistic Jews. So we have Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews, and typically this is the, you know, Jews defined by different cultures and languages. And, and, and the Hellenistic Jews come and they say, hey, the, the widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution. And so there's a conflict. Okay? There's a complaint, it says. So just some initial thoughts as we think about what's happening here. Number one, um, as we said before, this is two different groups of Jewish Christians. They have different languages and origins and geographic locations. Um, Followers of Jesus, they're trying to follow Jesus together, but they're all very different, okay? Number two, the the early followers of Jesus were known for their care for the needy and the vulnerable. Uh, There is a daily distribution that they've uh, established here, and it was an important part of the community. Remember we read before that they shared all things in common. There was this great care amongst the early Christians for those who were in need. In need. Um, just as Jesus cared deeply for the poor, for the women, for the children, for the oppressed, so did the early church. Thirdly, the widows are being overlooked. Now, there is ver- very much likely a large contingent of widows in Jerusalem. It was, it was common for Jews of older age, specifically, to move to Jerusalem so they could be buried there near the temple. 
And so what would happen is these older folks would journey to Jerusalem so they would be buried by the temple and the husbands would die, leaving the women very vulnerable because they were now far from home, far from family, far from those who would take care of them. So they were particularly vulnerable. And they were attracted to the Christian community because the, the, the Christians cared deeply for the material needs of others. Okay, fourthly, there's no reason to believe this was happening deliberately. It was likely that these widows were inadvertently left out. Okay, it's, I don't think, it's, it's not clear, but I don't think that the, that the Hebraic Jews were intentionally isolating or, or leaving out the Hellenistic Jews. It's simply an oversight. But regardless of the reason why, listen, we have to remember that regardless of why something is happening, the first thing we need to do is to care that it is happening. Does that make, I mean... Too many of us, we're trying to figure things out, make excuses, point fingers. Man, let's just sit with the fact that another person is feeling neglected and marginalized. And that's what happened here. You know, the, 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 the other disciples could have pointed and excused. and, da, 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 and No, I, I, they hear them. And so let's enter that reality. Before we have to fix something and figure out why, let's listen. So that's what they do. They listen. The apostles listen to the complaint. And then they gathered the community together and empowered others, commissioned others, and then we read that the church grew. Listen, friends, healthy churches, healthy communities of Jesus see conflict as an opportunity for growth. I want you to write that down. That's really important this morning. Healthy churches, healthy communities of Jesus followers see conflict as an opportunity to grow. Now, growth in simply numbers is not our objective. But I want you to see how in the midst of a, a conflict, the church thrived and grew. And I think our inability in Christendom to handle internal conflict specifically I mean, if we can't deal with internal conflict, how can we deal with external conflict? But our inability in the church in general to, to handle internal conflict um, has led to the North American church shrinking, not growing. And listen, we can gather a crowd, and we can get some amazing content out there. We can have some awesome music and dynamic preaching, uh, flashy production, whatever. We can do all of those things, but eventually people will see through that, and, and we have to ask ourselves if we're building the kind of community that has trust involved that can withstand conflict. Are we a resilient community in that way? Are we a shallow, consumeristic individual people who at the first sign of conflict simply stop showing up and go to the church down the road or abandon the community altogether? All right. So we're not afraid of growth here at the Mill Church. We just don't want microwave growth. We don't want manufactured growth. We want long-term sustainable growth, fruit that comes up in due season. Our objective is not growth. Our objective is, is the Word of God and prayer and following the ways of Jesus, right? But as we do that, as we commit to the way of Jesus, growth happens. It's a byproduct. The fruit is produced. Jesus talked about that in John 15. Follow me, 
and you will produce fruit, fruit that abides, fruit that is reproducing. It's like, what do you call the annual, you know, annuals, right? The, or perennials, what, I always get that. It's the perennials, yeah, the ones that come up every year. That's the kind of fruit that happens in our life as we follow Jesus. You know, and, and the reality is, is healthy living things multiply. Healthy living things are fruitful. This was our creation mandate, right? Be fruitful and multiply. And as follower of Jesus, this is our restored mandate now. Be fruitful and multiply. Is the redemption story, is the healing and wholeness of Jesus spilling out of your life into the life of others around you? Do you have fruit as a result of following Jesus? This is a really important question. And it takes time. We're in it for the long haul. But if I planted some tomatoes and cucumbers and was content to never see tomatoes and cucumbers grow, I mean, what's the point of planting, right? We didn't plant this church to just see nothing take place, did we? I mean, so in some sense, we, we can't just be content to be a club of a handful of people you know, hanging out. No, if, if we're following the words, works, and ways of Jesus, the reality is if this, if this little group that we are today is faithful to the way of Jesus, we will grow. We will multiply. Maybe not in the time that we think it should take place. We've been at this, Jacqueline and I, now for three years. It's been hard to be patient and learn how to to trust that the Spirit is at work, but we have seen that, that it's not a work of our effort. It's a work of living in step and trusting that God will breathe on our weak attempt to love Him and to love our neighbors and supernaturally cause growth from our small seed of obedience and faith. So we want to see growth. Are you with me? Come on. I mean, it's healthy, right? If, if we're alive, we should be growing. If we are alive, we should be multiplying, okay? But there's some stuff we got to do, right? There's some soil that has to be tended. There's, a, there's an optimal, um, um, optimal pH. pH level. Yeah, I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a balance. There's a, there's a whole infrastructure that's needed for growth. If I want to plant some tomatoes, I might need a trellis to help the tomato vine grow. I need some structure, I need some habits, I need some rhythms. And there's also some things we have to avoid, some weeds, um, critters, you know, squirrels, uh, deer, whatever, right? There's things that you have to provide and there's things that you have to avoid or prune or protect yourself from. All right, so here's what it's going to look like. A few truths this morning. Number one, if we're going to grow as a church, if we're going to be a healthy, growing church, we have to be willing to deal with conflict. They didn't run from this complaint. Have you ever been in a relationship, worked for a supervisor, gone to a church where you didn't feel safe to share a complaint? Where you didn't feel safe to share how you've been hurt or impacted? Where you didn't feel validated or listened to? We do this to each other, don't we? Whether it's in your marriage, with your children, with the people you supervise, or the perf person professing another opinion on Facebook. We do this. We dismiss others. We make no room to hear how our words or our actions or our, in this case, inactions, 
have impacted and marginalized and wounded and dismissed others. Friends, a healthy, growing community of Jesus followers is able to make space to listen to conflict. A healthy church creates space where two parties can come together. David Fitch reminds us, though, this is not popular. He says, the world runs on antagonism. It's always easier to stir up a crowd to hate an object or a group we are against than to gather both sides in one place to be present to each other. This is the work of Jesus, coming, bringing those together. It was those who stirred up groups to hate that killed Jesus, and it's Jesus' work to bring those groups to the same table. And we see that antagonism in our, in our day, don't we? We're in the midst of a, like I said, an election cycle. And man, the antagonism is about to get turned up to another level. You better be ready for it. <laughs> you better be ready. We better be ready to be peacemakers in the midst of the war, friends. And that's why we're going to pause on this series and really dive into that as a church, as a community. Because we're called to be peacemakers, to engage in the public sphere and with our neighbors and with those around us, to, to be those who advocate for coming together around a table, not stirring up more antagonism and conflict. And as a church, not only do we just put up with conflict, we recognize it as a space where the Spirit is present. We can run head-on into conflict and recognize that the Spirit of God is with us. Ah, you know why? Because it's central to the redemption story. Without reconciliation, without conflict management, I'd go so far as to say we don't know the gospel. If we can be reconciled to God through Christ, then it only makes sense that we are agents of reconciliation with others. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes from now on, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. He's saying we see people now through Jesus. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come, everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's saying, now that you've been reconciled, now that you've joined the redemption story, it's our job, it's our ministry to be people of reconciliation. And this is not just about getting people to believe in Jesus. No, this is, this is becoming a, a community of reconciliation. I don't have time to go into this today. We'll look at it another time. But if you read through Matthew 18... Jesus essentially is saying the work of conflict is holy. It's holy. See, a lot of us are paralyzed by fear in the midst of conflict. In the face of conflict, we, you know, you've heard it, right? You either flight or fight. So you either run or avoid or throw up your fists in the midst of conflict. I don't know what kind of conflict style you like. You know, are you a fighter or a flighter? Uh, um, you know, what, what's the mode that you fall into, right? But Jesus says, no, don't fight. Don't pick up a sword, Peter. Don't run away. 
Don't flee. Don't flight. Stand in the midst of it and believe and become a peacemaker, an agent for reconciliation. But see, we have a hard time imagining this as holy work, don't we? Most of us, I've found in my own life that a great part of learning to be a reconciler, a reconciler is first seeing the work of reconciliation as not something to be afraid of. See, we have a hard time seeing this as holy work. We see it more as a necessary evil. Oh, if I'm in conflict with my, my spouse, that's, I just have to deal with that as a necessary evil. You know, like, one of us screwed up, we got in conflict, now we have to deal with it to get better. And we, and we look at the dealing with the conflict part as just an evil thing or just something we have to deal with. It's why many, it's what keeps many from talking about these things and sweeping it under rug. It's what keeps many couples and relationships out of, out of counseling and, and, and out of the context that would allow you to grow. But I want you to invite you today, friends, to see this as holy work, an opportunity to open up the kingdom of God. Conflict resolution, peacemaking, listen, is an on-ramp to regularly joining the redemption story. Because I bet if you're like me, you've got a lot of conflict in your life. And what if I said that's a means to join the story? When we say joining God's redemption story, one of the ways that we join it, one of the on-ramps to joining the story is in the midst of our conflict. Here's Matthew 18, just verse 20. It says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Now, maybe you've heard that in the context of like, hey, when we go to church, Jesus is with us. Or hey, when I'm with my family, Jesus is with us. That's all true, but that verse is really talking about conflict. Don't miss this. This verse is happening in the midst of Jesus' teaching on conflict resolution. And he's saying, when you do this work of reconciliation, I am there among you. I am with you. When, do, when you do this work, you make space for me. That means it's holy, friends. It's an intersection of heaven and earth. What if I told you, what if I told you I know one way to be certain that Jesus is with you here on earth? What if I told you I, I knew one way where earth would, or I mean heaven would come to earth? And, and, and what if I told you that way was to go boldly in the midst of conflict, <laughs> to run right into conflict, not to Create, not to create conflict, but to, <laughs> that's a different kind of movement. <laughs> but, but humble yourself, listen, submit, work towards agreement, work towards unity, be, be, be present to others. And there you can be certain that Jesus is present with you. That flies in the face of everything we believe about conflict, doesn't it? But we see that here this morning. The disciples listened to the complaint. And what did they do? Number two, if, if we're going to grow as a church, the whole congregation has to take ownership. We have to take responsibility. I mean, really, even in, in, in the midst of conflict resolution, if two parties come together, we both have to own this thing. We both have to own what, what do, Why do most relationships fail? Why do marriages break up? Well, it, typically it's one person unwilling to own us. It's one, it's one against one. Instead of coming together and saying, how do we repair us? Well, we had to own it. 
And that's what they do here. It says, it, it, it says we, it, it says they, they summon the whole company. They summon the whole company. See, at some point or another, we will get into conflict. We will. Do, we will. If you hang out with us long enough, you will get into conflict with me. Right, Ed? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. The question is, will you stick it out with us? Didn't take long for the church to find conflict, did it? We're, in, we're only in Acts 6, and we've already seen some conflict before this. The question is, will you stick it out? Will you make space for resolution? Or will you bail? It's uncomfortable. It's hard. Some have already bailed. I'm just being honest. I've run away. I've tried to bail. <laughs> the only thing that's kept me from bailing at some points in this journey is that I'm the pastor. <laughs> and I can't. I mean, not as easily anyway. <laughs> but you will be tested. We will face conflict. And we all have a role and a responsibility. It's really easy to be a sideline critic, isn't it? In the age of social media, it's easy to sit on the sidelines and to judge and critique from a distance. To throw around your opinion, but never actually get involved in the hard work of redemption and reconciliation. But notice what they do. They summon the whole community. And they recognize this is not just left up to some super saints, some pastors, some priests to deal with it. No, they realize this is a problem for everybody to deal with. And in, in, in our church, we call that honor. We have a value, and we say, this is how we honor one another. Here's, here's what we say about it. We believe God's best in people. Every person is made in the image of God, is valuable, powerful, regardless of our differences. And we honor each other as such and empower one another to walk in our God-given identity and giftedness. We, rest we respond to each other not based on positions or behavior, but based on our God-given identity. Do you hear that? There are no super saints. We are all equals in the family of God. The work of the church does not rest on special leaders or pastors, but rather is the responsibility of every follower of Jesus. Therefore, we affirm that all followers of Jesus are kings and priests. As such, we equip and empower each follower of Jesus to live out their God-given roles and personality in the body of Christ as we live on mission together in our neighborhoods. If we want to see unity restored and people honored, we all have a part to play. There are no super saints. No one gets to sit on the sidelines and critique. Now listen, there are unique roles. We don't all have equal roles, but we all must be empowered with equal ownership. Do you hear that? We don't all have equal roles, but we all must be empowered with equal ownership. Not everyone will be involved in the food distribution, and not everyone will be involved in preaching of the word. That's okay. That's okay because we all own this thing. And we learn that our unique roles, and we learn how to operate in them and submit them to the group for the greater good of the community. Friends, if we want to grow as a healthy church, this work is not 
cannot be left up to Jacqueline or myself or our leadership team. It is the role of everyone. I loved last week how Crystal and Rich stepped up to host our, our neighborhood um, gathering. They were great hosts. Great job, guys. Awesome. Maybe you cannot host, but you could do something else. John is with us this morning. Thank you, John, for being here. Uh, and, and man in the camera. I mean, it, it doesn't matter you know, what you're doing as much as it, that we are all owning the responsibility together. I don't know how you're wired or gifted or what your limits or your capacities are in this season. Everybody has different capacities and limits and gifts, but we all can share equal ownership. All right, sorry. That's a, I felt like a long one, but it was important. Thirdly, if we're going to grow as a church, we have to care deeply about others, especially the vulnerable and the marginalized. James 1.27 says, Pure, undefiled religion is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one unstained from the world. Friends, religion is not about following rules or doing your duties. It's not about my personal right to worship and live my life on my own. It's about giving myself away for the sake of the vulnerable, the orphans and the widows, the ones who in our culture are particularly weak. You know, orphans and widows were typically left for dead. Actually, Christians were known, even in, that early, uh, in, the, in the early church, for sweeping up babies from the, from the side of the road who were discarded and raising them as their own. I mean, that was the early abortion, was just throw your baby on the street, especially the girls. And Christians were known for for gathering those children and raising the ones that others discarded for death. If we're going to grow as a healthy church, it's not going to be because we had great preaching or an awesome kids ministry or whatever. It's going to be because we care deeply about the vulnerable. Now, in our community, that might not necessarily be widows and orphans. It, it very may, 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 may well be. But we have to have eyes to see the vulnerable around us. It could be grieving with those who have lost a son or daughter from the drug overdose. It could be our black brothers and sisters who live in a predominantly white community. It could be special needs families or people with chronic illnesses or the awkward sixth grader with no friends. That was me in a suburban community at one point, and it was that somebody befriending me that led me to come to follow Jesus. See, in communities like Havertown, we have to look a little harder to see the weak and the vulnerable and the hurting. They're not just hanging out on the street corners, are they? But nonetheless, we have to be a church that sees them and cares deeply for them. You want to know something interesting about the seven men that ended up being chosen to oversee the distribution of food? They were all from the Hellenist group. I love that. You might say, hey, that's not fair. That's not, they didn't get equal representation. It should be half Hellenists and half Hebraic. But you know what? They said, no, you're the, you're the ostracized. You're the oppressed. We want to go out of our way to make sure you're now being listened to and heard and represented. And it was them who now were in charge of leading the food distribution. So they would not overlook the Hellenist widows any longer. That's kenosis, friends. 
laying aside your rights for the sake of another. Finally, if we're going to grow as a church, we have to both proclaim and demonstrate. We have to care for spiritual and material needs. Both are needed. Both are necessary. Both are important. We are now the hands and feet and mouth of Jesus in the world. We see the, the disciples, they, they're prioritizing both the, the daily distribution, the, the, the material needs, and the preaching of the word and prayer and the work of, of you know, ministry in that sense as well. Both are needed. Um, at times, we've seen, we see some churches that lean toward the social justice side while neglecting spiritual needs. And others will lean towards spiritual needs while neglecting the physical needs and material needs. Both are important. If we're going to be a healthy, growing church in these days, we must boldly proclaim the truth of the redemption story while demonstrating how that good news works itself out in the midst of the neighborhood, in the midst of our relationships and families and communities and politics and everyday life. This is our mission, or our co-mission with Jesus. Um, Dan White, J.R. Woodward, in the book Church's Movement, say this, We are the hands and feet of Christ in our world today, sent out to continue his ministry until he returns. We have been commissioned to proclaim good news to the poor and to release the captives. We are called to be peacemakers, reconcilers, activists, stewards of creation, people who care about the environment, and so on. Jesus' mission was robust, and he sent his spirit to live in us so we might be a sign and a foretaste and an instrument of his coming kingdom. A friend of ours once said that the church is called to be the welcoming committee of the kingdom, not the managers of the guest list. That's a good one. I love that. A welcoming committee. How do we do that? By both proclaiming the redemption story boldly through words and demonstrating it through deeds. If we use just words... Listen, if we use just words, we run the risk of being too shallow. Words that aren't backed by actions. And too often this has been the charge against the church. If we use just actions, we run the risk of simply doing philanthropy for the sake of philanthropy. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do it, word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we don't do these deeds just in this, for the sake of good deeds. We do it in the name of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we have to make it awkwardly clear that we are doing things for Jesus. Like Christians need a more robust imagination for this. Too often we hand out some food and then we make people sit through a sermon to get it. You get what I'm saying? Like It's like, hey, if you want to have good deeds, you also got to listen to the words. And the words only come to you through this very narrow proclamation of the gospel. Or we hand them a tract. You ever heard of a tract? You know, it's like, hey, if you want some food, let me give you this pamphlet too. You know, and I'm not against those things, but that's not what happens. We need an imagination of what it means to be a sign and a foretaste both through words and actions. Actions that serve others deeply and words that explain uh, clearly and invite others into the story as well. And you know what? We're going to take the next few months to process that as, you know, how do we do that in the, in the avenue of politics and just in light of, you know, civil realities in our culture? Is there a way to stand with both compassion and conviction? 
These things don't have to go against each other. Is there a way to be a community of compassionate love for, for others in, in deeds and in action while standing convict, uh, confidently in our convictions? How do we engage both words and deeds? Can we join the redemption story in the political arena, friends? I heard someone say recently that church shouldn't preach politics and should just stick with the gospel. Well, I happen to believe that following Jesus is not just something we believe about religion, but it's about the way we view all of life. It's what we call a worldview. And worldviews influence politics, don't they? They influence everything. So we're going to journey there. And I want to encourage you to pick up a book called Compassion and Conviction. It's short. It's going to help us to unpack this in the next two months. It's not required, but grab it. It'll be a great read. You could just process with us along these lines. But let's be a healthy, growing community that one, can handle conflict and discern the presence of Jesus in the midst of it. Two, can take ownership, all of us working together, equal ownership, different roles. Three, can care deeply about the vulnerable, the hurting, the weak, the marginalized, the oppressed, the grieving, whoever, whoever that is in our community, let's care deeply for them. And four, learning how to articulate the redemption story through both those deeds and through our words. So my question for you is, what's lifting to the surface today? What's rising to the surface? What are you processing this morning? And join us in that journey, would you? Guys in the room, anything that's rising that you'd like to share? I'd love to... John, Ed, Jacqueline, something, anything... Ah, I got something. I always got something. That's good. Um, I mean, there were about 14 different times that I thought of something because I kind of listened to you with this portion of the service in mind. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you were talking about going deep and you were talking about the plants and everything. And, and I was thinking about, and this could be a whole other sermon in itself, so I'll try to make it short. Well, you're a gardener, um, but a, a, a amateur gardener. Amateur, right? very, so I, very. I actually amateur. thought about, well, should I have Ed share a gardening story? Because you're much, you know more about planting and yeah. things than I do. So, yeah. Well, I got one. <laughs> so, so I got two apple trees in the backyard, and um, I have one kind. I, I have two apple trees, two different kinds of apple trees. You need two different kinds so that they cross pollinate. Um, which goes to the different people and their different roles in the church and a whole nother sermon. Wow. Um, and then, so you plant these trees and you spend like all day preparing the soil, getting it ready, mixing it up, mixing in cow manure so that they have the, the fertilizer and everything like that. And then you plant them. And then they flower and they start growing little baby apples. But you don't let them grow those apples. So the first two years of that apple tree being planted, all I want is the roots to grow deep. Mm. So I have specific fertilizer 
that is for roots. If you go to the look at the fertilizer, everybody thinks fertilizer's for no, it's yeah. not. There's fertilizer for all different things. But I have a specific fertilizer that helps the roots grow deep. I've prepared the soil so the roots want to go deep and they want to go wide. I then as they start to grow these little apples, when the apple gets about the size of the end of your pinky finger, you go over there and you pick them all off. Hmm. Every apple tree on the, every apple on that apple tree for the first two years before you even start to let it grow apples. Hmm. And then they grow in clusters. So year number three comes along, and we're in that in my backyard right now. I'm super excited. <laughs> but year number three comes along, and they grow in clusters. So you have this, this little cluster of flowers. So then I don't even want this young tree to grow as many apples as it can. So I go in there and I pick off a couple of, the, of that cluster. So each cluster, I might leave two, maybe three, on each cluster of seven or eight sometimes before it even gets started. Mm. So, but this is all to help the tree grow deep. I don't prune the branches. You know, when branches cross inside the tree, that's, that's not real good for its growth. Um, it's not real healthy for it. So if I prune it, it tells the tree I need to grow more branch. So you don't prune it because you want all that growth going down first. Mm. And, you know, we were talking earlier this week about going deeper and, and making those real connections and those, those solid foundations that you, that you build with people and so that you're able to go to somebody and have a conflict, right? The, the, the whole peacemaker and the conflict thing, the peacemaker isn't... And then <laughs> step out on a limb here. Um, the peacemaker is more about attacking the conflict than it is about attacking the other person. Mm. The action, so that fight or flight that you were talking about, mm. you, you fight the, the conflict with God in the midst of the two or more people and that whole thing. Yeah. But, you know, you got the, the peacemaker attacking the conflict and that like you said, you, you, want to, you want to do it because you want to get over that hurdle and you want to build that relationship and you, you want to get past the conflict and come to that reconciliation, redemption. Yep, redemption. Um, so, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. That, I, I so could what would happen if you didn't do that, you know, pulling off those apples and not tending to the deep, deep work? Like, what would happen? If, if, if I did not do that, the root system would stay shallow. Mm -hmm. um, it opens up a taller tree, and when the tree gets, if the tree grows up too fast, the wind catches it more. If it grows up and wide too fast, it just creates a big sail, right? right? So if the roots don't go deep enough, and they're not firmly enough planted in the ground, you, you open, that's why people's trees fall over in their yards quite often um, when the wind's blowing. Uh, whether some natural phenomenon made that tree have a shallow root system or, or whatever, um, rocky ground or whatever, sure, that, sure. that plays into all of it. But, yeah, yeah. But, but without making that root system deep, the apples aren't, the apples aren't great, right? The, the, the tree is not sturdy and it, does, it won't produce in the long run mm. the way that 
it won't produce to its potential. Yeah. Got right? It. I can only good. get so much out of no, it. That's if really it's not good. good. That's really good. Like, and it might initially look like a good tree. Oh, those, those first year apples look, they're the best looking apples that it's grown wow. yet. Wow. They were the most beautiful apples that it has grown yet. So it's yet. kind of deceiving. It is. It is. It, it's, it's really deceiving. Like, the apples I have in the backyard, I was talking to my son, Gabe, um, about it. They're, they're not round. You know, you buy them in the store, they're all nice and round, and they're pretty, and they don't have any black spots on them. But look, man, I got birds and, and bugs, and everything wants these apples. Mm. So they're not perfect. They don't look like the ones that you buy in the store. They're homegrown apples. And over time, they would get better. As the roots get deeper, the tree gets stronger in itself. But right now, we're in third year, and this is the worst, absolute worst set of apples that this tree has grown. Wow. And I've always left at least one or two on there just to see wow. what the apple looks yeah. like. So it's like early on, especially, it's messier, it's dirtier, and you're working for something that's going to be sustainable and sturdy and resilient. Yes, absolutely. And you're having to temper yourself because you're like, oh, this looks beautiful, but really it's kind of deceiving. Like it's not, yep. wow. Yep. Let the reader understand <laughs> or the hearer, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Those with ears, thank you for that beautiful, wow. Yeah, awesome. thanks. Any, any other, Jacqueline, John? That's really good, Ed, because it's like so tempting to rush it and to just start being like, oh, look, we got fruit, and realizing, oh, wait a minute. There's some deep work. There's some more work that has to get done here. So, babe. Um, my thing is dealing with conflict and... You love conflict, right? Yeah, I'm... <laughs> Conflict is like my enemy. But anyways, um, the fact that Jesus is with us in conflict, I, like I'm normally a, the person that's like, oh, I screwed up, which means everyone abandons me and I'm the most horrible person ever, which means I have to go resolve it myself. Is that on, by the way, that mic? Before, um, before I can... Okay. There you go. Just hold it up. Sorry. Okay. Um, but I think what's beautiful about it is that, like, Jesus is with us in conflict, so I don't have to do it on my own. Like, hmm. it's not something where, like, Jesus abandons me. I, like, Jesus doesn't have a fleeing mentality when we have conflict. He's actually running into it hmm. with us, more like beckoning us to come and resolve it, um, and it's so important to Jesus that he says, you know, when you go to worship, leave what you have at the altar and go to your neighbor or whoever you're in conflict with and resolve that conflict with them first before you come to church. And I think we kind of have it backwards saying, oh, you know, I got to make myself right with God before I go make myself right with my neighbor or the person I'm in conflict with. He's like, no. Go make yourself right with with uh, go make yourself right with the person you're in conflict with, and I'm there with you. It's all in the same process. Yeah. So you're kind of like neglecting. You're you're kind of having like a false religion or a false worship gathering or whatever when you come to. You know, worship without 
resolving conflict with someone. Well, the flip side of that, though, is that we were talking about this the other day, Ed, about how I can make that religion now, and I can be like, I have to get right with everybody or else God doesn't accept me. You hear that? Yeah, so then I can be like, oh, no, I can't go to church. I can't read. I can't do all these spiritual things unless I deal with this conflict. And we kind of like make Jesus' words into this religious like duty now where he's saying, no, I, what I want you to do is see that I'm with you in the conflict. And I want you to care about the conflict more than you care about pleasing me and worship duties. You know? Yeah, and sometimes you can't resolve every conflict that yeah. you're in. You know, like I, I think it's it is a balance. But in my life, I have seen that I would come to worship gatherings and not even want to deal with conflict whatsoever. So I think yeah. it's just an eye opener to be like, hey, you know, deal with the conflict. If things don't get resolved, it's okay to still come to worship. Like you don't have to worry about that. Reconcile with yeah. God, and but try to go beyond that and do what Jesus teaches. Yeah, what matters is that we're going after the conflict, right? Yeah. Yeah, because we, we, we had a fight the other week on a Saturday night, and it was like, oh, no, I got to go to church the next day. So if I take that too religiously, then I'm like, crap, I have to talk to you about this and deal with this conflict before I go to church, right? Yeah. Well, then what happens? It I'm pushing. It I'm, yeah, it made it worse because I'm pushing you to deal with conflict like immediately, and my motivation is actually not to, it's not to love you in the conflict and to over, it's not to reconcile, it's actually to make, yourself feel make myself feel better before I go to God and yeah. see how I turn that like thing into a religious duty instead of a holistic like loving God and loving neighbors, right? Yeah. So it's good. Thanks, babe. Good, let's just, let's take communion together. Uh, we'll just end like that. Um, because I think in the bread and the, and the juice and the, and the cup, we, we see this um, invitation from Jesus, right, to be broken and be poured out for others and for healing. You know, like we always say every week, here's the body of Christ, the blood of Christ for you and for the healing of the world. So we have we have a means by which we see reconciliation and redemption coming to people. And I want to invite you to do that with us. So.